0: Okay, we're uh, continuing with our study in the book of Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 8, Woohoo, in the verse 22. I mean, we've been at Mark for uh, many moons now, you know, it's probably uh, months that we've been at this, and we're doing line by line, word for word, uh, in the book of Mark, and I think it's going to take us at least another six months, Lord willing, we'll transition over to the new facility before we finish Mark, wouldn't that be a good idea? So uh, we're in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. Very bizarre, very, very strange story that we're going to look at today. Uh, last week we saw the feeding of the 4,000 people plus women and children. is kind of a very similar miracle to when Jesus fed 5,000 people. Well, last week it was 4,000 people. And uh, now we're going to look at this rather odd story uh, that takes place immediately after as far as Mark's uh, account is concerned uh, uh, chapter 8 of Mark this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels in the New Testament. And Mark is the second one. So if you found it in your Bibles or your smartphones, tablets, whatever, you can follow along with me. Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida and some people brought, him, uh, brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw Everything clearly, and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. One of the strangest stories of healing in the gospel record. Uh, Mark is simply continuing his narrative about what Jesus is doing. The last thing that he says to his disciples before he writes of this story is the question, do you not yet understand? And now they came to Bethsaida and here is where the miracle takes place. It would be helpful to look and see where we are on a map Because the story uh, is important in terms of the geography here. So if you put the map on the screen, um, you can see Bethsaida to the north of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is that blue thing that's shaped like a pear. And uh, that's the sea. It's like 13 miles long, I think 7 miles wide. And Bethsaida's is up at the top in the north. It's a fishing village in that day. Uh, we were spending time in the Magdala area, which is the southwest of the sea. And that's kind of where the feeding of the 4,000 took place. Then they get into a boat and they head up yonder to uh, Bethsaida. And this is where it takes place. Now it's important to know where it takes place because we know a little something about Bethsaida when we read the rest Of the gospel record. Number one, it was the hometown of the Apostle Peter. We learn this from John chapter 1, verse 44. This is important because if we're right, Peter is dictating his information to Mark, and Mark is writing. We have a very early tradition in antiquity that supports this. If it's correct, then one would presume that Peter saw things and knew things that others wouldn't necessarily see and know. And this miracle is unique to Mark. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Luke. It's not in John. It's only in Mark, and it takes place in the hometown of of the apostle Peter. We know a little something else about Bethsaida, and it's not good news. Uh, Jesus would condemn this town with very, very strong language uh, in Luke chapter 10, verses 13 to 16, and there he condemns several towns, but one of them is Bethsaida, and he says, Woe to you, Chorazim, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which are wicked Gentile cities, they would have repented a long time ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment, presumably the judgment to come, for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted uh, to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. So strong words of condemnation for Capernaum, which was kind of Jesus' home away from home, Chorazin, and this place Bethsaida, where this miracle is going to take place. Uh, Verse 16, the one who hears you, this is the disciples, hears me, the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Very, very strong language. Apparently, this town, Bethsaida, was a place where Jesus had done the miraculous, but it produced no repentance in the people. How many of you know that when God works in our lives, He doesn't do so just to work in our lives? He expects a response, and in most cases, that response must involve repentance. But apparently, in the case of Bethsaida, this did not take place, even though Jesus had done many miracles there. But this is the location of this rather bizarre uh, miracle that's going to take place. Notice also that this blind fellow has what we could call, using a theological term, intercessors. Verse 22, and some people brought to him a blind man. He doesn't go to see Jesus on his own volition, no pun intended, he can't see, uh, but he doesn't approach Jesus in any shape or form on his own volition. He has others who do it for him, and they approach Jesus on his own. Uh, a behalf. And this is a form of an intercession. This is a concept in the Bible where somebody bridges the gap between a situation or between man and God. The ultimate intercessor is who? Jesus. He's the the God-man. He bridges the gap between us and God. But you often see in the Bible, people praying on behalf of somebody else. They're not the one with the need, but the somebody else is. And they approach God, and they bridge that gap. And one would presume that this blind man's friends were quite concerned for him, and they begged Jesus just to touch him, it says. Uh, because presumably they heard that all he has to do is touch people and people are healed. So let's let's get our friend over to this Jesus. He can touch him and he'll be healed of his blindness. We don't know how long he's blind for. The story would suggest a long time, but we simply do not know. They beg Jesus to touch him, but Jesus does a lot more than touch him. Verses 23 to 25, he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village and then he spits on his eyes and then he puts his hands on him, presumably on his eyes, and asks him, do you see anything? This is very, very strange, very unusual, but if you're blind Jesus has definitely got your attention. It would be helpful for you uh, if for the rest of the message, you would be able to discipline yourself enough to keep your eyes closed. And if you try to follow and listen with your eyes closed, you get just a little two-second glimpse of what it's like to be blind. If you're that blind man and you've got Jesus taking you personally outside of the village by hand, that's touch, very important to a blind person and he takes you outside of the village, and he stands in front of you, and he, well, spits. You're going to hear him spit, and well, you're going to feel it touch your eyes. Something is going on. Something is about to happen. This is a very personal Midas touch that Jesus is giving to this person, and the same is true today. He addresses the needs of people in very, very personal ways, and this man was blind. All of this would have been very significant to him. Something big is about to happen. Now, the question, I'm sure, on all of your minds as you listen to this strange story, you're even embarrassed to think it, but you want to know what's up with the spit. Like, why does Jesus... Uh, This is very crude. You know, why are we even reading this? This is Sunday morning. You know, this is kind of gross. And uh, don't you have anything better to preach on? Couldn't you have skipped it? Seems a little bit crude. A little bit of a strange story. Uh, Over the summer months, I've I've taken the opportunity uh, to uh, watch a little bit of baseball which is a kind of a favorite sport of mine. And I've been following, I hope some of you have been following, the only Canadian team in the entire Major League Baseball since the Montreal Expos died. Uh, but now we have the Toronto Blue Jays, 22 years without making the playoffs, the longest drought currently of any Major League team. And all of a sudden, after the acquisition of some superstars, they are making a serious playoff run. Today, in the city of Toronto, the place will be packed as they're playing the first place New York Yankees. I mean, the, a Canadian team. Are there any Canadian people who care in the house? Okay, a few people care. Well, I have, I have kind of an interest in this, not only because I like the sport, but because their, their star catcher, Russell Martin, when he was a little, a little pipsqueak growing up in NDG, I played baseball with him for like two years him and his saxophone playing father and we would play all day and he was about this high little kid but he could catch you know things that were thrown to him by a 20 year old and all of a sudden look who's behind the plate for the Toronto Blue Jays you know so it's exciting to watch but I don't know if any of you have ever taken the time to watch this crazy sport on television you know I mean you think you'd fall asleep in a church service you'd probably fall asleep watching baseball <laughs> You see these guys, they sit there and they just stand there and all of a sudden they move for five seconds and then they stand there and they move for five seconds. You don't have a clue what's going on. Uh, But as you watch, you see the cameras often zoom into the players' faces, but they have this curious habit of cutting away from the players' faces because the players have a curious habit of spitting all the time. I mean, you look at it and you go, "Where did they generate enough to do that?" They're doing for three and a half hours. It seems like all they're doing is spitting. And if you can read lips, you know, either they're spitting or they're using harsh language, one or the other. And you look at them and you say, this is crazy. These people making millions and millions of dollars. I mean, you wouldn't want to be the fellow who has to clean the dugout at the end of a game. You see all this stuff, to spit the sunflower seeds, bubble gum, and heaven knows what else is on the floor there. Uh, it's kind of funny. You look at it and you think of Jesus spitting I mean, he's not spitting on the ground, he he spat in someone's eyes. You say, that's rude, that's gross, what's up with the spit? I mean, maybe it's a bad translation, you know, the N-I spit translation. Well, the problem with this is that Jesus does it in other places. There's two other places in the gospel record where Jesus heals with spit, and if you've been following in Mark, you know that one of them is in Mark, the previous chapter, chapter 7. We've got a fellow there who's deaf and who can't talk. And he's in the Decapolis area down in the south there underneath the, uh, where I showed you in the map. And, uh, and Jesus heals his fellow, very bizarre. He takes him outside from where the crowd is. He privately meets with him. He takes his fingers and sticks his fingers into the fellow's ears. Remember, he can't hear, so touch, again, the personal touch. And then he spits, doesn't say where he spits, and then he touches a man's tongue. Ugh, gross. What does he, what does he say to him? Stick out your tongue, I want to touch it? I mean, you look at it, he sees it crude. And he looks up to heaven, he sighs, and he says in Aramaic, be opened. And instantly, the guy can hear, the guy can talk. Pow! Just like that. Strange. Uh, Another instance of it is in John chapter 9. And here we have another fellow blind, but we know he's been blind all his life. He's been blind from birth. And the debate was, well, why is he blind? You know, his parents sinned and all this other nonsense. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm doing this to, to glorify God. And the way that he heals him, though, so strange. He spits in the ground and he makes mud with the spit. I mean, you know how much... Spit you have to use to, to make mud out of it? I mean, was he a baseball player? You know, you look at this and you say, and then he tells him, go. he takes the mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes. The mud made out of dirt and spit. And he, and he says, now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He goes and he washes and he comes back, healed of his blindness. Bizarre. And we look at this and we say, what is this, this is so strange? So I looked did a little bit of research and found some really funny things about this. Uh, there's a, on the internet, there's a, there's a church It's called the Spitting Image Church. You can look it up, <laughs> spittingimagechurch.org. And this is their tagline, welcome to the Spitting Image Church. If spit was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. <laughs> And they use uh, you can read it yourself. I mean, you you know, it brings water baptism into a whole new light. Okay, when you read now. Anyway, what is all this with the spit? So I'm sorry to you know, but I know I've got your attention. Okay, today uh, in the in the Talmud, which is the Jewish uh, rabbinical commentaries on the Old Testament. There's a lot of traditions in there that have nothing to do with the Bible. But they're taken quite seriously. And back in the time of Jesus, there was a tradition that the saliva of the firstborn son of the father had healing properties. This was believed in. We're not sure how seriously it was taken. But it was said to have healing powers. And you can read it yourself in the Talmud if you want to do the research. Is Jesus playing on this? Uh, when he when he does these you know these strange spit miracles I mean we can't say we we really can't say for sure uh, one thing that we know for sure is that if you're a blind man and you're you're led by the hand by Jesus outside of the town personally and he spits you're going to hear it first of all you're going to feel it and then he puts his hands on your eyes there's something is going to happen. There's a sense of anticipation in this man's heart that something is going to happen. But this isn't the only strange thing that happens in this miracle. Uh, Verse 23, Jesus unusually asks the man, after he touches him, he asks him about the results. Plainly put, do you see anything? Why would Jesus have to ask this question? I mean, how many myriads of blind people did he heal without asking them if they saw anything? Why does he have to ask this this person the question? Maybe the person, some say he was struggling with doubt. He was too doubt infested by the town that he lived in, in Bethsaida, and so Jesus had to ask him to, to get by his doubt. I mean, the scripture doesn't even say. And the man's answer is even stranger. Verse 24, he looks up and he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Strange. So did Jesus not have enough power to heal him the first time? What does he mean by this being out of focus? Is there some hidden message in the Bible about this? I mean, people say all kinds of odd things about the fact that the man sees out of focus. One popular idea is that this is an illustration to show that the disciples couldn't correctly discern who Jesus was, and therefore he's illustrating it by this man sees out of focus. I mean, that may make for great preaching, but where does it say that in the text? Nowhere. I mean, it's conjecture. It's a good idea. But we have, honestly, we have no idea why this man could not see, it seems, uh, even partially after Jesus had touched him the first time. Another theory that's out there uh, is that uh, we know in medical science now when we can restore people's sight, their brain has to adjust to the fact that they can now see. And so they see blurry uh, for a time. There's a curious uh, a book uh, from 1995, and I found this out uh, from a blog by the, uh, uh, written by a, a guy named Brian Knowles, and he spotted this. And uh, the, the book is written by an anthropologist, and he tells the story, true story, of a 50-year-old man named Virgil, and I'll read it for you, who at age 50 was surgically restored to sight, and uh, surgery was successful, but he had trouble adjusting after he could see. And he couldn't see, he couldn't make out what a cat was. He could see, you know, the paw and he could see the nose and the tail. But finally, after a time, he realized, oh, it's a cat. And he, he figured it out. And his wife says, and this is kind of coincidental, uh, Virgil finally put a tree together. He knows that the trunk and leaves go together to form a complete unit. So now he understands what a tree is. Could it be that this is not uh, that Jesus healed him partially, but that he healed his eyes and then he had to touch him again to heal his brain? I mean, this is what people say, but again, it's conjecture. We simply do not know the reason why uh, he asks about the results and why he partially sees these kinds of trees walking around. And then something even stranger happens. If that's not strange enough, Jesus lays his hands on him a second time. Verse 25, Jesus laid his hands on his eyes. Again, he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Folks, there's simply no other place in the entire gospel record where Jesus has to do it twice. We don't see it. We don't see him. It's a sort of a half a healing, and then he has to touch him again, and then he heals him. We do not see it. It's the only time that we see it in Scripture. It's very, very unusual. And then he tells the man, don't go into the village, go home. So presumably he lived outside the village and he says to him, verse 26, he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. He leads him out of the village by hand. He eventually heals him and then he says, don't go back to that village, you go home. Uh, Again, is this because of the the lack of repentance in the town? You didn't want this man's thinking to be corrupted by it? I mean, we simply do not know. So you say, well, where are you going with this? I mean, what's the application for today, Pastor? You're teaching us that we have to go outside and spit? I mean, are you going to tell us that now you train your your elders and when we come forward for prayer, you know they're going to start spitting at us? Is that that what we're going to become, you know? And by the way, we will have prayer at the end for you, uh, given, given the, the subject. But we're gonna we're gonna use oil. Okay, relax. Okay, it's not it's not spit. But a, a lot of the a lot of these ideas are conjecture. Uh, but what can we really learn from the story? What can we really take home from the story? Well, there's quite a few things. Uh, number one, God can heal people despite the surroundings. Bethsaida is a town condemned by Jesus. It's a town with, with uh, uh, unrepentance in it despite the miraculous that takes place, but God can still heal in spite of that. Even if people don't respond to what he does, he still, by his grace and his power, can do it anyway because he's God and he's all-powerful. He can do it despite the surroundings. Uh, number two, God still uses intercessors and the concept of intercession. He still uses that. Oftentimes, I meet people who come and they want to be prayed for, but it's not for them. It's for somebody else. It's for their loved one. It's for their friend. It's for their family member. This is very appropriate. This is something that God uses throughout the entire uh, Bible. Uh, Number three, God touches our lives personally according to need. Uh, oftentimes when, when we hear, well, so-and-so, uh, my friend, they, they got healed or God worked greatly in their life this way. And therefore, God must work greatly in my life the same way. Well, how many of you know you and your friend are different? I, I just have news for you. Turn to the left, turn to the right, look behind you, look in front of you, and you'll see the people, y'all look different. And some of you, you turn to the left, you say, I'm glad I don't look like that one. Well, you're all different. God made you different, and He reaches you differently, and He touches you differently. Yes, it's the same Jesus, but don't expect him to be a photocopier, uh, you know cookie cutter, assembly line, and you know what He did for him this way, He'll do for me that way. He can do it any way he wants to. Uh, this business of of Jesus touching the man twice, we we even rarely see this happen in the entire Bible. It echoes a little bit of Elijah's ministry. Remember Elijah way back in the Old Testament, First Kings, uh, chapter seventeen, chapter eighteen. You got a couple of miracles that are suspiciously like this. Uh, So we have a widow at at Zarephath, her son eventually dies, and Elijah, he can't accept this, and he lays himself prostrate over the boy three times, and eventually the boy comes back to life. Well, why did he have to do it three times? The scripture doesn't say. Uh, Chapter 18, after this sort of showdown that Elijah has with the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreh, uh he, he, he wants to end the drought in the land and he goes up onto Mount Carmel and he bends down and puts his head between his knees and he prays for rain. And he takes his servant and he says, go and tell me what you see in the sky. And the servant comes back. He says, I don't see nothing. So Elijah does the same thing. goes down, put his head between his legs. He prays and nothing, nothing, nothing. Seven times. And then he comes back. He says, Elijah, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand up in the sky. Elijah says, boom, it's done, saddle up your chariot, the rain's coming, there's a downpour. Why do you have to do it seven times? The scripture doesn't say, and it doesn't say why Jesus had to do it that many times, but he meets our needs according to what's going on in our lives. And it looked different for everybody. Uh, 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 God will complete his work in us. Beautiful verse in Philippians. Paul talks about this a bit. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Regardless of how long it takes him to work in your life, he will eventually bring it to completion. He is faithful. He didn't bring you to, to this point to drop you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will complete the work in you. Some of you, you've been praying for things for years, 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 decades. Do you think God has forgotten? Do you think he's deaf? Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. Keep sticking your head between your knees and looking up for rain. If it worked for Elijah, well... Persevere. Persevere in that that prayer life. He who began a good work in you, He'll bring it to completion, however He does it. And finally, God works miracles, not magic. So often we treat God like a sort of a divine magician, particularly Pentecostals who believe in this sort of thing that God heals today. How many of you believe God heals today? I hope you do. Uh, But sometimes we treat Him a bit like a magician. Well, you know, we take the coin, which is a sort of magic prayer, And uh, we put it in the box and uh, out comes the candy, which is the healing. We got, you know, it's like magic. Well, God doesn't, he doesn't do magic. He does the miraculous in our lives. He works in our lives for a greater purpose. It's not just to heal you. I mean, even if he, even if he brings you back from the dead, you're still going to die. You know, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And what happened to Lazarus? He eventually died. Well, Technically he died twice. Well, why did, he, why did he raise Lazarus from the dead? There's a greater purpose, a greater meaning for that. And usually it's because God wants all of you. He doesn't just want to hear, heal you intellectually or emotionally or spiritually or physically. He wants your heart. He wants you to be immersed with him. This is what he wants, and he'll, he'll often get your attention through the miraculous, but it's for a greater purpose, a greater uh, uh, work that he wants to do uh, in our lives. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to invite the musicians to come, and we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to have a time here where we can pray for people. And we have a little bit of time left. Not too, too much. But I'd invite the elders if they would come. And we do have some oil available for them. The oil just is a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, that that idea of touch. That God is touching you. And it doesn't mean necessarily that something miraculous is going to happen. God can work in many different ways. You can be prayed for this morning. And during the week, a door will open in the situation. It has all the appearances of being natural, but God has opened the door. One of the, one of the coolest things that happened to me this week on, a, on the Wednesday night, I had a couple come to me uh, and, they, and they said, thank you for, for praying for, for us. And I said, well, I don't remember praying for you. And the lady said, oh, I remember you prayed for me because I had a tumor in my neck and you prayed for me and I had surgery on that tumor and the tumor's gone. I said, wow, that's great. Say, well, where's the miracle? Well, you ask that lady if she'd rather have the tumor. How many of you know God used that whole process to heal and bring restoration to that person. And he can do it in your life the same way or in many, many different ways. He doesn't want to be a photocopier or a cookie cutter. I'm going to open in prayer and then let you come to the front. You can be prayed for as the worship leaders will lead us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stark and sometimes crude reality that it it gives to us. But we praise you, Lord. This is evidence that what was recorded there in Mark, it really happened, strange as it is and god we just we just let you work in our lives in any way that you would want to even if it's strange lord all of us have needs in this room all of us relate in some shape or form to this story all of us god we want to see you work in our lives in a greater way we pray that you would we pray god that we would have an authentic real dynamic relationship with you where we see the evidence of it in our lives we pray in jesus name Amen. Amen. The front is open. The elders are available. Please come if you want to be prayed for. Otherwise, you're dismissed. The Lord bless you, and we'll see you next week.